Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he that is faithful hath, uh, I beg your pardon, for he is faithful that promised, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray you would take us into your care and bind us together in love, that we might properly and effectively consider the word that we have read as it applies to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have any of you made your New Year's resolutions yet? Anybody? Nobody. You will be between now and next Thursday if you make them. There's only one resolution that I make. I make it every year. And the resolution is that I will make no resolutions. And I can keep that one pretty well. The only one I know that I can really keep. But seriously, we will begin to make some resolutions. What we're going to do, what our relationships are going to be, how we're going to act next year. I hope some of you will make some resolutions. And I hope those resolutions include some things about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about His church. I hope some of you are resolved to be more faithful than you have ever been in your life to the church services, to prayer, to your devotion to the Lord. Some of you, if you are not Christian, I hope you are resolved to become a Christian. As a matter of fact, I hope you will begin the year as a Christian by accepting Him as your Lord and Savior even today. So that 1988 will be a year bright and full of expectations because you see it through different eyes. And I can assure you that a Christian looks through different eyes than the non-Christian. Those of you who have gone from the non-Christian state to the Christian state can testify to that that you see things differently once that decision has been made to receive the Lord Jesus. Well, that's my prayer for all of us as we start the new year. If we look at the passage of Scripture before us, I think we can see a resolution being developed in the words that the writer of Hebrews has given us. All of us have uh, been in organizations or in churches where resolutions have been passed. They generally began, whereas such and such is true, 
Therefore, we resolve to do something. Whereas and therefore are part of resolutions. See if we cannot read those two words into what the scripture has to say for us. In verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let me translate it this way, Whereas we have the opportunity or the privilege to enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Can you read that? Whereas we have the opportunity and the privilege to enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. One translator wrote it this way, Whereas we have confidence to enter into the sanctuary of God. I don't know if you are well acquainted with the temple that the Jews had in Jerusalem, but let me quickly describe it to you. There were four parts to it. Two of them were called courts. There was an outer court that surrounded the main building, and into that area a Gentile or anybody could go. A Gentile could not go further than what was called the outer court. Then there was another court inside that one, called the court of the women. And it was into that area that women could go. Women could not go into the sanctuary. You had to stay out of the vestibule. Did you know that in Jewish tradition? You women can't be in here if you were Jews. You stayed out there. Then there was the sanctuary that was called the holy place where all the good Jewish men came to worship. But in front of the sanctuary, there was a huge veil that went from the ceiling to the floor. Very heavy tapestry. And behind that veil was called the Holy of Holies. That was supposed to be the residence of God. And it was into that Holy of Holies that the high priest would go once each year to make sacrifice and offer prayers for all the people. Now, do we have the picture of the temple? This veil, huge tapestry across the temple in front, separated the people from God. They did not believe that they had any personal access to God. The only way a Jew could get to God was to go to the priest, and the priest would go to God, and God would tell the priest to, that the people's sins were forgiven or what to say to them. People in Jewish days could not get to God. Keep that in mind. If you're a Jew, you have no access to God. You've got to go through your priest. That was the tradition. That was the way it was established. The veil was a separation. The theology of the Jew was that God was to be feared. As a matter of fact, the Jew would not even say the word God. They wouldn't say in their uh, language, Jehovah. They would use some reference but never speak his name. They were so fearful of God 
and it was rightly so because God established himself in, in terms of his nature that when God came down to the mountaintop to convene with, with Moses, the people were instructed to surround the mountain but not touch it. Because if they touched the mountain, if their livestock touched the mountain, they would die. God was to be feared. When they carried the ark and all their 40 years of wilderness wandering that contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments and the staff that Aaron used when he uh, uh, did certain things and some of the uh, manna from the wilderness and a few other things was carrying that ark. It was sacred. They were instructed not to touch it. It was to be fearful. And as the the priest picked up that ark and put it on their shoulders with the long poles and carried it. They were cautious never to touch the ark. And one day when they stumbled, some people reached out to put their hands up against the ark to, to keep it from, from being uh, dropped. And they were struck dead. Then the mind and the hearts of the people, God was to be feared. And now here, the writer to Hebrews has done a complete turnabout. He is now saying that we have, and he's writing to the Jews in this case, we have access to God. We can come boldly, he says, and enter into the holiest, which means the holy of holies, that part behind the curtain. We can, he says, as Jewish people now go right into boldly walk right behind the curtain and get into the presence of God. A complete change in the thinking of the Old Testament to the New Testament. We can come with confidence. We do not need to come with fear. We can come with eager anticipation into the presence of God. That's what Jesus did and made possible. Access to God. That which has blocked the way into the presence of God has been destroyed. Now we're talking about the veil. Keep that veil in mind. We're going to have to come back to it in a moment. Whatever has blocked man's access to God has been done away with. We can come boldly into his presence. Now let me say a few things that will not give one access to God before we come back to the positives. I want to say four things that will not allow a person access to God. God is not approachable because of our good character. The scripture says there is none good, no, not one. Therefore, if a person thinks that he's going to have access to the presence of God because he is morally good, he's just, he's upright, and he's honest, and he's a good parent, he's a good citizen, he goes to church and he does all these things, God is not approachable because of man's own goodness, for there is none good, no, not one, says the scripture. All have sinned, Jesus said, and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Therefore, we can conclude that no one will have access to the presence of God because of his own good character. So that eliminates all good people. Nobody's going to get there in his own good character. Secondly, we do not get there based upon our works, that which we do. It's good for us to come to church. It's good for us to pray. It's good for us to give of our finances. It's good for us to help the poor and do all the things that we know that we ought to do and do good works. But the scripture says, by grace are you saved and it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works. There are many people who are going to be surprised when they discover themselves in hell and they're going to try to argue, as Jesus gave scripture, they're going to try to argue, look, we did many wonderful things. We preached, we taught, we were honest, we gave, we did, 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 did. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. We can stack up all the good things that we possibly can do and be rejected. For we're not saved by our good works. Therefore, we can't get behind that huge drape based upon what we do. So, we can't get there based upon our character. We can't get there based upon the good things that we do. Well, maybe we can get there if we belong to the church. Now, I have a shocking announcement to make to Jehovah's Witnesses and to the Church of Christ. If you belong to either one of those groups, let me tell you, you're going to be surprised that you're not the only one in heaven. Amen. There's a little story told about Baptists who think they're the only ones who are going to heaven. St. Peter met this fellow at the gate, and he said, I'll take you down to your room, and they went down, and and the fellow said, who's that over there? And he said, oh, that's the Catholics. And over here, that's the Church of Christ. And those are the Methodists and the Presbyterians. And he said, shh, be quiet as we go by this door. You can look in, but don't say anything. The fellow said, why? He said, that room's full of Baptists, and they think they're the only ones up here. <laughs> there is no evidence, no evidence throughout the Scripture that any denominational group, by whatever name they want to be called, have a corner on the market of heaven. It is not what organization you belong to. It is what you have done with Jesus Christ. That's all. Whether in your heart you have believed. Listen, there are lots of believing Catholics. There are lots of believing Presbyterians, there are lots of believing Church of Christ members, there are lots of believing Baptists, and it's not based upon the title attached to the individual, it's based upon whether or not they have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Do not think that all of those groups will be vacant in heaven because they will all have people there. Our titles makes no difference. Fourthly, we are not going to have access behind that huge drape based upon our words spoken, our verbal confession. Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There are lots of people making uh, public professions, saying things with their mouth, 
that is not backed up with their life. It is not what one says with his mouth, it's what one does in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's time we understand that if we're going to have access behind the veil, we're going to have to do it by some other means. So what is going to tear down the veil? Well, you remember at the crucifixion, Jesus was on the cross and his life was being given. While that was happening on Calvary outside Jerusalem, down in the temple there were activities. It was the time of worship. The people, the, Jew, the Jewish men, were in the sanctuary. The women were out in the court. The Gentiles were out in the outer court. The priest was up front conducting the service. And at the time of the death of Jesus Christ, the scripture tells us that that veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom and separated. And for the first time, the common ordinary man in the pew had a, a glimpse into, was able to see into the holy of holies where God was supposed to be. They were given access to the presence of God. Not by what any man did, but, what, but by what God did. When God separated that veil and tore it apart and gave man access to himself. When God placed the body of Jesus Christ on the cross and tore that body. And that's exactly what verse 20 is talking about. We are consecrated, he was consecrated for us through the veil. The veil is the body of Christ. We are consecrated into the presence of God. We can boldly walk into the presence of God now because the body, the veil was torn and by that tearing we have been given access to the, to the presence of God. No longer, no longer does a man have to go through a priest. Now to some of you I'm going to give you a phrase or, or two words that you may never have heard before. I want you to remember them. Some of you, it'll be old hat too, you've heard it many times. The phrase is priesthood of believers. We believe in the priesthood of believers as Baptists. And most denominations do that. Certainly all Protestants. What does that mean? It means that no longer is there a need for a man to find another man to go to God for him. He can go to God for himself. Amen. That's what that means. You're your own priest. <clears throat> Having access in your, by yourself to the presence of God. Now, the concept of the high priest, although ha that has been done away with as far as a man being a high priest is concerned, God no longer accepts my prayer for you. I'm not your priest. He'll listen to my prayer, but he'll not save you, or he'll not forgive you because I ask for it. He will only save you or forgive you because you ask for it. There is no priest to do that anymore. None at all. It's been done away with. But, in verse 21, Jesus assumes the position in heaven of the high priest. 
That is the go-between between God and man. There still is a go-between. A high priest. But it's Jesus Christ himself. He is in heaven taking our case, our sins, our prayers, our petitions, our requests to the Father. That's the position now of Jesus in heaven. That's what he's there for. His position on the right hand of God in heaven is to be, quote, a bridge builder. And that's what priest means. It means bridge builder. One who builds the ability of one person to get together with another. And the ability of God and man to get together was accomplished through Jesus Christ. He joined the hands of God and man. He made one have access to the other. He is there as, as the high priest. And the scripture tells us very frankly that no man comes unto the Father but by me, says Jesus. I am the way. I am the bridge builder. I am the high priest. And he says anybody who tries to get into heaven any other way except by me is a thief and a robber. And he's not going to make it. Now many people don't believe that. There are lots of people who think they can get into heaven all other kinds of ways. But there is only one way into heaven, and that is by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Try as a man might. No one goes to heaven except through Jesus Christ. No one. All right. That's the whereas. Whereas we have access to God through Jesus Christ. Have we seen that now? Man has access through the veil, which was the body of Christ on the cross, into the very presence of God. Whereas we have access to God through the veil, through Christ. Therefore, now let's get to therefores. Therefore be it resolved. What? I want to say four things about resolutions here now. Four resolutions that the writer to Hebrews tells us to make. In verse 22, the first resolution is, Therefore, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Draw near to God with a sincere heart. Half-hearted faithfulness to God is not acceptable. God wants you all or He wants none of you. God is a jealous God who will not share you with anybody else. No other God will he share you with. Therefore, he says, we are to draw near to God. If there is a resolution that you and I ought to be making this week, is that we will draw near to God and live near to Him in a way that we have never lived before. Most of us live at a distance from God. We're not very close. This thing of living at the foot of the cross, that is a phrase that is often used, is a good phrase to use. Brethren, we need to be living at the foot of the cross. We need to be living for God. Doing what He wants us to do. And I think we ought to resolve today that we're going to live nearer to God than we have ever lived before. 
James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. I'm going to run over time just a little bit, so don't you worry about it. i got three more points and I'm going to make them. As I heard a preacher say not too long ago, if you get tired before I do, you go on home. But I want to make my points. It'll take me five minutes or so. So if you get tired, you go on. Point number one, we should resolve to draw near to God. Point number two is in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. I certainly would suggest that we ought to resolve that we will hold fast to that which we believe. A father left his young son on the corner of a street and told him to wait there for him until he returned. Father had some business to take care of and he was delayed in getting back and the father was very concerned that the boy would have left and not be standing there on the corner waiting for him and when he got back because of his tardiness and he was surprised when he saw his son standing there and he commented to the boy, I thought maybe you might leave and the boy said, I knew you would come, you said you would. I believe that's the attitude that you and I ought to have with God. When God says something, we can bank on it. We can be absolutely sure that he's going to fulfill what he has told us. And if he is delayed in our concept as to when he's going to arrive, we should still be standing on the corner waiting because he said he would be there. A young Salvation Army girl went to an apartment in London to visit a young boy who was deathly ill. The family did not believe in God or in Jesus Christ. And as this little Salvation Army girl started to knock on the door, she heard a voice which was of the Father from within saying to his dying son, Hold on, son, hold on. And she heard the young boy reply, but I have nothing to hold on to. We who are Christian have something to hold on to. If you don't have security, something to hold on to, you ought to resolve to hold on to it, give yourself to it, that you've got something firm. When I baptize a person, those of you who I baptize know that I do this. I tell you to take hold of my arm with both of yours. Why? Because I want you to feel secure. You have something to hold on to as you go under that water. Something to hold on to. It gives security. If, I, if you didn't take a hold of my arm, there would be some uncertainty in the process of going under the water and coming out. And it, it creates a little bit of of apprehension and I've learned over the years to, to have something to hold on to my arm where they can pull gives security I'm saying to you is that the hand of God the arm of God is extended and we as his children have it to hold on to and we ought to resolve to hold tighter in this coming year than the other alright point number three look at uh, verse 24 let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works uh, one way of stating this would be to let us stimulate one another or let us encourage one another. John Mark was a young preacher who went with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. John Mark became very discouraged on that trip. The trials were more than he could possibly stand and he quit and went home. 
He gave up. And the next time they started on a missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along, and Paul said, no, he was a quitter. He gave up on us. I'm not taking him again. And Barnabas stood by John Mark so strong that it caused a split in between Barnabas and Paul, and they went their separate missionary journeys. Years later, Paul acknowledged his mistake, for John Mark turned out to be a marvelous Christian man who wrote the gospel of Mark, who preached and taught in the name of Jesus Christ. Barnabas did not give up on him. Barnabas encouraged him and supported him and took him back. When I go to a football game and I see the coach send in his kicker to kick a field goal and everything is lined up and everything is right and everybody does their job perfectly except the kicker just misses the goalposts. And it goes off to the left or right. And that young man comes off that field dejected. He is discouraged. He has been defeated. I don't from that point on often watch that kicker. I watch the coach. I watch to see if the coach reaches out to him and pats that young man on the back when he comes off the field. And I particularly watch to see the next time the field goal conditions are right and he needs to send in his kicker if he sends in the same man to kick the field goal and I oftentimes see that he does and I know that a good coach is a coach who has confidence even in times of failure and will send the young man back in to try again and will not despair how many times he might fail because he has confidence in that he can accomplish the task Listen, this is the kind of attitude that we need for each other. You need to support your neighbor and your friend in this church. You need to support me as your pastor. I need to support you as the lay people of this church. Together we will accomplish things. We will lift each other up and bear each other's burdens and support each other in times of distress and turmoil, yes, and in failure. We will not kick when someone is down. We will offer a lifting, offer a lifting hand. We will encourage. We will do exactly what this verse says. We will consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So let us resolve that we will support each other. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, before this night is over, you will have denied me three times. But that's not all Jesus said to Peter. Jesus said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Peter failed, but his faith didn't fail. Peter came back to be the great apostle that we know. Out of despair, out of failure, out of shortcomings, he came to the front. And he was a stalwart Christian. I have prayed for you. Be it resolved that we will pray for each other and support each other in this coming year. And lastly, verse 25. Forsaking, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but exhorting one another. There is no Lone Ranger Christian, folks. No Lone Ranger Christian. 
If you think you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ outside the bounds of the opportunities of the church, you're sadly mistaken. He told us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because in groups, in unity, there is strength. And we, as God's children, will do His work together. We will not do it alone. We will not do it alone. If you want to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will do it as a supporting member of Christ's body, of this church. Together we will have strength. Singly, divided, we will be in weakness and we will fail. Therefore, I think we ought to resolve as we face this new year that we will work together and support each other in our weaknesses and in our distresses. So let me restate it now, the whole thing, as a closing statement. Whereas we have access to God through Jesus Christ, therefore be it resolved that we will, one, draw near to God, two, hold fast to our faith, three, encourage each other, and four, work together. When those things are properly resolved and sealed in our hearts and our lives, we'll see this church progress. We'll see people one to the Lord Jesus Christ because we have made the resolutions that will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community and will do it because we have already gone through the veil into the presence of God. Will you make those resolutions? That in this year you'll draw nearer to God than you've ever drawn before. That you will hold on to that faith that you've started with. That you will encourage one another. And that you will work together. Will you do that? Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.